So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, let's turn back to Romans. And I know I said that my goal was to finish the book of Romans by Advent, uh, which means we've got one more Sunday after today. So we're probably going to finish right after Advent um, because I just don't want to jump through it for the sake of finishing it up. Um, but we, we've moved into the understanding of, of practical theology and, and what the theology and the doctrinal things of being a believer and coming to faith have to do with how we live our lives. And we spent the last few days where Paul is addressing actual issues in the life of the Roman church. And today we're going to do that as well, uh, where Paul's talking about something more specific. We're going to pull from it uh, how that applies to us because we don't necessarily... Uh, struggle with the same thing that the church was at that time. But before we read this passage of Scripture and before we start talking about it, let's, let's join for a minute in prayer, and let's ask God to open our eyes to what he has to say for us. God, we ask this morning that as we turn to your word, that you would help us to find something that we can use to grow in our faith. We ask that you would allow our hearts to receive the things that we need to hear, She would allow our ears to hear the things that we need to hear. She would open our eyes to see the ways in which we need to live our lives more for your sake and your glory instead of using you as a jump stop for our own selves. God, again, we thank you for your word, which is living, which is true, which can be depended on through all seasons of life. We know that in these words is the path to life and to holiness. So God, as we read them, may you illumine them for us, and may you lead us on the path that leads to everlasting life. Amen. So in Romans chapter 14, Paul talks about the danger of criticism. And we have to understand when we read Paul's letters to the church, Paul was writing letters from a pastor to people who were dealing with real-life situations. He was not writing with the intent of all of his letters being compiled for the sake of you and I several thousand years later to sit and to form out theologies and doctrines and discussions and things like that. But what he was trying to do is he was trying to take faith, a faith in Jesus Christ, a newfound faith and a way of living and understanding and thinking, and he was applying that to real-life situations. So it's really no different than if you came up to me and asked me a question about something you were dealing with, and you and I sat there and talked, well, how does our faith in Jesus Christ play into that? That's what Paul was doing. And so we have to be careful when we read Paul's letters, and I've said this about every passage that we've ever read, we can't pull it out of the context in which it was written. Because if we do that, it is very easy to make it say really whatever we want it to say. And honestly, this passage of Scripture here is one that people have used time and time again uh, in order to come up with some abstract theological and ethical backgrounds um, and forgetting that Paul is actually talking about a specific instance in the life of these specific believers. Um, 
So what we're going to see here is we're going to see some people that were moving from a Jewish faith and a Jewish culture, moving into this new life in Christ. And some of them were struggling to leave behind some cultural things and experience the freedom of Christ. And what it was doing is it was causing contention in the church. And I know that's something weird for us because we don't believe that contention happens in the church. We're all happy, good people. Um, But that's really not the case. You know, whenever you have different individuals uh, coming together to try and pursue something, there's always going to be some difference. So if you've got your Bible now, read with me. I'm going to read uh, Romans chapter 14. I'm just going to read the whole chapter because there's only 24 verses, um, and we can do that. Accept other believers who are weak in faith, and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes that it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience would only eat vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted both of them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think that every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it is to honor the Lord, and if we die, it is to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be the Lord of both the living and of the dead. So why do you condemn one another, believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember when we all stand before the judgment seat of God, and the scriptures say, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let us stop condemning each other, But instead, decide to live in a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble or fall. I know that I am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believer distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you choose to still eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for who Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat and drink, but of living a life of goodness and of peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Do not tear apart the work of God over what you eat, but remember that all foods are acceptable. But it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something that they have decided is right. But if you have doubts of whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions, and if you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. So you can see there that Paul is, is focusing specifically on one issue at hand. Uh, there was some quarrel of, uh, between the people coming from Jewish tradition about whether or not dietary restrictions and things should still be observed. And he refers to two different types of people. He says there's the weak people and there's the strong people. 
He's saying the weak people are the ones that are still holding on to the restrictions and the dogmas and the traditions and all that. And the strong people are the ones that understand the freedom that comes from Christ. But he says no matter which side of the thing that you're on, the part that matters is the heart in which you act from. And so for us, when we look at this passage of Scripture, some things that we can focus on, things that we need to understand, is that the issues that we face sometimes in the church aren't necessarily the primary concern that we have. In all things that we do, as Paul is saying in this chapter, it is the condition of the heart in which we are making those decisions. So the heart of our faith is not to criticize one another and to hold each other to a strict line of working out our faith, but it is to understand are we ordering our lives and ourselves according to this new life that we have found in Jesus Christ. Y'all, I'm dying up here. This is terrible. So the first point that Paul makes in the first couple of chapters of, of this book, or of this chapter, first verses of this chapter, is that if Jesus Christ dies for all, then we have to be careful that we don't hold other people in contempt of some of the very things that we are still needing to work out. Now, you know it as well as I do. It's very easy for us sometimes to look at, at how other people are falling short in order to make sure that we're feeling okay about ourselves. Am I right? We do something wrong. It's very easy for us to go, well, so-and-so did this, so I'm okay. If so-and-so's getting into heaven, I'll be okay. But Paul's saying that's exactly the opposite of the attitude that we are to have, is Christians should not hold one another in contempt. If we are to become the example of Christ, if we are to follow the person that Jesus Christ was, then we can't look upon each other with criticism or contempt. Now, there are things in the church that we are called uh, to understand that God has called sin, that the Bible does say that it is sin. Uh, but Paul says that when people are new to the faith, when people are coming to the faith, we can't look at them and expect them to be perfect immediately. One of the bad plagues of the church that people who have turned away from the church and don't want to go to church say is that it's full of people that are no different than me, but yet they expect me to be perfect in everything that I do. And that's the reality of it. We have this image of what a Christian or what a church person should be. And if somebody doesn't fit in that mold, whether we do it purposefully or, or unintentionally, we tend to look down on them. So Paul is reminding these believers to not judge the newcomers to the faith. God is the only person that is meant to judge or condemn. But the job of a believer is to teach and example and encourage all patiently. Why is patience important? Because we still need patience with us, don't we? We need God to be patient with us because we haven't got it all figured out. We're not perfect. And so Paul says that, honestly, the thing that you should want is people who are not perfect in your midst. People that are hearing the message. People that are are curious about faith and what it means to grow and to become this new life in Christ. And then he goes on to move into saying that instead of paying strict attention to stuff, to churchy things, he says that anything that we do, 
whether it's uh, drawing a picture, writing a card, uh, whatever we eat, whatever we, we do for a living, anything that we do, if we are new in Christ, we are to do for one purpose. That is to honor the Lord. And he uses that when he brings up the topic of what's right to eat and what's not right to eat. That's the specific issue he's talking about. He's saying it doesn't really matter. He said, we know that God has freed us to eat all things. Remember the sheet where everything was lowered down? And he said, you can eat anything in here, and that was everything in the world. And he said, so it doesn't really matter what you eat, but for people who are new to the faith, people who are, are struggling to learn and to understand, he said, your number one job is to honor God through what you do. And sometimes we try a little too hard to hold our ground to, to dig in and to hold our stance on something when the reality of it is that our walk with God is just as much concerning the person to our right and our left as it is ourselves. That we don't have this Christian faith alone to ourselves, but yet we are accountable to God and we're accountable to one another. The words that we say, the actions that we do, the way that we reach other people, the way that we encourage, the way that we influence other people is all necessary to our own faith journey and to the success of the church. In verse 7, he says, none of us live to ourselves alone, but yet we are all accountable to God. Paul's reminding the believers here that when we pay attention to the actions and the things of somebody else, somebody who's maybe not on the same level of faith that we are, and we begin to criticize them and we begin to judge them or condemn them or run them down, then we have forgotten the fact that one day we will all stand before God and we give an account of how we lived our faith. If we profess faith in Jesus Christ, he says we can't become divisive over matters that aren't about salvation or repentance. And if you think about that, what, what is one of the things that heralds uh, the church, especially in Western culture? The ways that we disagree with one another and we become different denominations or we become different groups. Nine times out of ten, that is over secondary issues that aren't necessary for having faith in Christ or following in repentance. And so I want you to hear the words of verse 7 again. And it's honestly, it's a good passage of scripture for you to remember. It says, if we live, we don't live for ourselves; We live for the Lord. And if we die, we also honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So it's good for us to remember that in all things, our number one goal is to honor God. And sometimes honoring God requires us to be patient, requires us to be flexible, requires us to remember that Jesus said, don't look on others through your own eyes, but yet look on them through the eyes that I have given you, through the example that he has set for us. Welcome with mercy and with patience and with grace. So all people, both present and past, will stand before God and will give an account to how we lived. In verse 13, Paul says, let those who are born again not condemn one another, but instead decide to live in such a way that we keep each other from stumbling and falling. What is the great commission that Jesus said? To go and make disciples, to teach them and to train them. 
So when you go into the military, you have boot camp, and usually it's about 12 weeks long. The first six weeks are, are the worst part of boot camp. And what they're actually trying to do is they're trying to deprogram you to get you to a point where they can build you up the way that you need to be. And what that deprogramming does is it gets you to a point where you can change the way that you've seen some things your whole life, where you can change the way that you've done some things your whole life, where you can understand that sometimes it is necessary to listen to the input of somebody else as opposed to just holding on to what you have known for so long. And the same is true in our process of faith. Every time God does something, God accomplishes something in our life, it is a result of a season where God's Spirit has been working in us to change something. That's what sanctification is. It is a process by which God continues to redeem, continues to work. I've never met anybody that has gone from no relationship to Jesus Christ to the perfect Christian all in one day. I've never met anybody that's done that. Some of the greatest people I would know would be the first to tell you that they're not perfect. Would be the first to point out the ways that they're still learning to grow and learning to live in their faith. So Paul says that we need to be careful that we don't live as the church judging and condemning. Now, I know that this opens the door to a lot of other discussions. And remember, I told you that this passage is pulled out of Scripture a lot, or pulled out of context a lot for people to use. Those verses like where it says, if somebody feels good and confident about what they're doing, then, then it's okay. That's pulled out of context a lot. You see, Paul's not saying here um, that it's not right to disprove of something somebody does, somebody's actions. You know, you can't go out and fire, firebomb somebody's house in the name of Jesus. That's not what it's saying. God's word is very true. God's word gives us a way in which we are to live, a way in which we are to order our life. And so when he says to be careful not to judge, he's not meaning to hold each other accountable to biblical teaching. But Paul is speaking about overly harsh criticism. Do you ever have a, a boss when you were younger, maybe at one of your first jobs, that you just couldn't do anything right? No matter how hard you tried, no matter if you tried to do something a certain way, uh, it just seemed you could never do it right. Anybody have that experience before? Sometimes that's how we approach other people in faith. We have a preset understanding of how it's supposed to be done, and if they don't do it that way, then we, we just unload on them. But remember, that's not how Jesus approached us. Remember, it was while we were still sinners, while we were still lost, before we had been found, before we had been redeemed, before new life is when Jesus died for us. So Paul is saying, don't overly criticize people, but walk with biblical insight. What is one of the greatest things about God's character in the Bible, in the character of Jesus? The insight to see who we could be. God loved us while we were sinners because he knew who we could be. He sent Jesus Christ to die for us because he saw who we could be. And so it is our job as believers to approach all people seeing how they can be in Jesus Christ. So Paul gets to talk about food here, which we don't deal much with that, do we? We don't have those dietary battles in the, in the life of the Methodist church, do we? We really don't hear about those at all. 
So our validity of our faith is established by the quality of the life that it produces. I heard that statement by somebody this week, and it made me think about a lot of things. That our faith is proven valid by the type of life that we live. And we can have a faith that just makes us a good person and a pleasant person to be around, or we can have a faith that is doing amazing things, that is doing wonderful things, that is showing the example of Jesus Christ in a tangible way. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 says, By their fruit you will recognize them. And Robert Mounts is a a theologian, a a commentator on, on various books of Scripture. He said, What people do is the most accurate indicator of what they really believe. That is a very convicting statement. That what people do is the best indicator, the most accurate indicator of what they really believe. If you got your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 6 through 11. And I want you to hear the mindset of someone who believes. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. But instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of that of a slave. He was born as a human being. He appeared in human form, and he humbled himself in obedience to God. And he died a criminal's death on the cross. And because of that, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. He gave him the name above all other names, the name, and at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the the only example that we're called to follow and to understand what it means to walk with somebody else. It's not to create an understanding of what a good Christian looks like based on our experience or based on traditions that we have put in place, but the only example is that of Jesus. The one who may have had everything, he did have everything, we may have everything, but it said that he humbled himself as to the point of a slave, even to the point of death for the well-being of someone else. So when we talk about practical theology and we talk about being practical in our faith, we need to be careful that our definition of practical is anything less than the person of Jesus Christ. That the goal and the outcome of that is anything less than what Jesus did. To give himself so that other people might come to know God. So we all answer to, our, to God for our faith. And the acting of, of judging and condemning one another, uh, it's a very questionable act. We need to be careful that we don't do it. Um, Another guy said that if we take up the role of judging and condemning one another, we attempt to usurp God himself. It's an attempt to dethrone God. And most of the time we do it for our own sake because we know that we're falling short. Because we know that we ourselves are not pursuing God in the way that we should be. So Paul has just taken this specific instance of something that to us seems kind of silly but it was dividing the body of believers, the people who were responsible for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And he said, you're looking at it through your own perspective. And I feel like every time we open God's word, we see that call there to change the perspective by which we consider other people. So Paul is saying to look on one another with love. To hold each other to biblical truth. To walk with one another in accountability and encouragement. But to be patient with one another. Because God was patient with us. To have mercy with one another because God first showed mercy to us. To work for peace. Peace was the example of Jesus Christ. Peace is the example of somebody who has humbled themselves. We have to walk with others with their faith journey in mind. We have to be encouragers and admonishers and pursue righteous living in order to honor God in all that we do. And if we have peace with God, we must pursue peace and growth and holiness with one another. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank you for the words of Paul. Thank you um, for the way that he calls us to live out our faith. God, we know that we face a lot of scenarios and situations in life that we can't just turn to a page in the Bible and find the answer in black and white necessarily that you want us to or the way that we want to. But God, we know that through Paul's writing and Paul's teachings and the teachings of other biblical authors that anything that we do not of faith is considered as a sin. If we have not yet felt conviction from you that you have approved it, then we can define it as sin. God, help us as your people to place all aspects of our life before you and before your word for approval. Our words, our actions, our purpose of our life, and the goals that we set for ourselves. And if we doubt any of those actions, God, please help our hearts to understand that it is unacceptable if it is not for the sake of bringing you glory and honor. Your grace walks with us in the gray areas of our life. But our call to be disciples tells us to have one goal, to live, to love others, and to speak in order that we might bring you glory and honor. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.